Good morning, and the conversation begins here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. And I'm pleased now to welcome and to continue our theme of the morning with Valentine's Day around the corner of love and how important it is. I'm pleased to welcome here New York-based therapist specializing in relationships, Time Ajan, her new book, the new book, Seeking Soulmate, Ditching the Dating Game and Finding Real Connection. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Why is love so hard to find anymore? You know what? I think everybody struggles with finding love um, because the world is changing and the way that we find love is changing and it's hard to make adjustments quickly. Why do you think, think why do you think that is though? I think because we've got new technology, we've got new ways of connecting and I think that with with all of those changes, um, there's uh, adjustment in in how you are connecting with folks, and it's really a, a strange new world that people are navigating. Even the younger people who are used to the technology and who have grown up with it are still finding it difficult to really make connections. And I think a lot of that has to do with a little bit of depersonalization that comes with this this internet world that we're in and this uh, smartphone and app world that we're in. When I was looking for love, and I've been married 30-some years now, um, it was the fix-up. It was how you found love, fix-up right. or a bar. But that's mm-hmm. changed very differently now. Mm-hmm. That's right, and at times it was also arranged. And so we've gone through a whole range of different ways of, of connecting with people and you know, as as those changes come about, we have to make adjustments too. And I find a lot of people, a lot of older people, find, you know, online dating to be strange and they don't even want to try it. But if you're looking for love and you're not looking at online dating, you're not looking at apps, then you're really missing out on a resource to find a, a connection with people, to really kind of meet people. One in five relationships now, committed relationships, start online. But when you're working online, how do you know you've got a genuine person, and how do you know you haven't found Jack or Jane the Ripper? Uh, you don't. <laughs> but you don't know that either if you're getting, if you meet somebody in a bar. So, you know, it, it's, it's really about um, getting to know somebody in person and being able to uh, read body language and um, speak with somebody up close and do it in a way that feels comfortable. Have people know where you're at. Have people checking in on you um, before and after the date. Make sure that you're in a space that feels safe to meet this person. But, yeah, get up front and, and personal with this person so that you can do the things that you can't do online. You can't look into somebody's eyes. You can't use your senses to see if there is a connection there. Again, though, it seems to me today, you make a date, whether it's at a bar, a fix-up, or even through a, an internet connection, and people expect to jump into bed at the first date. Yeah, that's a, you know, hooking up, the hookup culture um, is definitely uh, prevalent right now. I think it's always been, you know, somewhat present, but it's definitely, um, you know, sexuality is changing as well. Gender is fluid. 
you know, you, the way that um, you look at committed relationships is changing. There's a, a little bit more openness with uh, polyamory um, and open relationships. And so, yeah, I think there is a little bit more of a hookup culture. Um, but if you're looking to find a real serious relationship and you're hooking up on the first date, it, you know, it, it can be a challenge. It's not, you know, I'm not saying that it's um, impossible to find somebody and, and and have a committed relationship with them if you're sleeping with them on the first date, but it does make it more of a challenge because when you are sleeping with somebody, um, you have all these hormones that mimic um, connection, that mimic um, real intimacy and make you feel like you are in love with somebody, and it really is an illusion um, in time. Uh, it, the only way to really get to know somebody is over time, uh, spending time with them and developing um, that, that relationship with them. Isn't part of the problem, though, people confuse love with lust? Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's, that's what happens. Love and lust are not the same thing. Um, they both feel great, but, um, yeah, I think a lot of times people base relationships on attraction, um, and if they're not attracted to the person initially, they write off that relationship. And that, I think, uh, shoots you in the foot if you're looking for something long-term because when you're meeting somebody, you are nervous. You're awkward. You're, not putting your best, you're often not putting your best self forward, and so you're not really getting to know that real person in front of you. Or the opposite happens, right? You are... Um, only showing the best sides of yourself. And so the person that's sitting in front of you when you first meet them is not really the person that you're going to get into a relationship with. It takes time. And if you're basing it on lust, if you're basing it on attraction, then you're not basing it on reality. People put on their company manners in the beginning. That's right. It's like a job interview. Mm -mm -mm. All right. It also seems to me people are whether it's hooking up or getting married or falling in love or whatever, they're doing it at a later age. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think that's true for a lot of reasons. I think um, a, lot of, a lot more women are waiting um, and have careers um, and other aspirations in front of um, having a relationship, a long-term committed relationship. I think, you know, there are certain parts of the country where people are still getting married at younger ages. Um, but I grew up in Los Angeles, and I uh, live in New York City, and it's quite common to see people not getting married until well until their 30s. Or even later. Or even later. Absolutely. Um, what makes for a good relationship in your experience? Well, I think that commonality is uh, really the first thing. Um, if you have things that you guys both like to do or common interests um, or genuine interest in what the other person is interested in, I think that makes for a really great relationship. I think communication is key. And there's going to be communication breakdowns in relationships from time to time, um, but if you are prioritizing communication, if you're making sure that you're checking in with your partner re regularly, if you're making sure that when there is a communication breakdown that you guys are doing your best to trouble 
to, 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 to fix that, um, then to troubleshoot it, then I think you um, have a, a better success rate. I think respect is key in a relationship. And, you know, one of the things that we find, which is a strange phenomenon, is the closer you are with a person, um, often your manners kind of go out the window. You feel more comfortable with them, and you show a side of yourself to them that you wouldn't show your boss, that you wouldn't show a, a, a professor or a, 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 even a close friend. Um, your partner kind of gets to see the worst and the best sides of you. And so keeping respect in the forefront, making sure that you're um, you're reminding yourself of uh, why you fell in love with this person in the first place, why you care about this person, um, the way you treating them the way that you want to be treated as well. It's been said men tend to marry their mothers or a mother substitute and women tend to marry their fathers or a father substitute. What do you think about that notion? Um, I think there is some truth to that, but I think that... Uh, you're going to get yourself in trouble if you're marrying your mother, and you're going to get yourself in trouble if you're marrying your father. Nobody wants to sleep with their mom. Nobody wants to have sex with their father. Um, if you're doing that, then you're trying to resolve some kind of issue um, from your childhood, uh, most likely. And your partner is not there to be your mommy or your daddy. Your partner is there to be your companion, to be your lover. Um, so if you find that you are often dating a mother or father type, then I think maybe it, it's a good idea for you to uh, speak to somebody about that and see if you can resolve those issues outside of your relationship. Well, you shouldn't marry your mother or your father, but at the same time, don't we develop a lot of our expectations about relationships from what we experience as children with our own mother and father? We sure do, and that's not to say that there aren't uh, positive attributes um, that we can look for in a partner that we saw um, growing up, and there's nothing wrong with that um, per se. I'm speaking more uh, towards people who uh, find partners maybe with attributes of their parents that they struggle with. Um, I think that can be... That, that can be challenging and, and create issues long-term in the relationship. And you're listening to Conversation here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon, and I'm talking with therapist, author, Simon, Simon, am I getting that right? It's Shamin. Shamin, all right. Shamin Ajan, social worker, author, therapist, seeking soulmate, ditch the dating game, and find real connection. My name's Peter Solomon. All right, Shamin, um, when should you know you're in trouble? What do you do? If you're in trouble in a relationship or yep. if you're in trouble on a first date? Both. Okay. If you're in a trouble on a first date, I think it's always great to have an escape plan. <laughs> have a friend who calls mid-date and can give you a way out. Um, just remove yourself. You know what? This has been this is it's been an experience meeting you. Um, I don't think it's going to work out, and I wish you the best. And leave. Prioritize yourself over um, prioritizing uh, 
the person who's sitting in front of you's feelings. Um, you know, your safety and your comfort is what's most important. You can do it in a kind way. You can do it in a, a straightforward way. But, yeah, get yourself out of there if you think you're in trouble. If you're in a relationship, a committed relationship, and you think you're in trouble, I think it's important to sit down with your partner and let them know, look, these are the things that I'm seeing that are not working, and we need to fix this. We need to find a way to get past this. And couples therapy can be really, really helpful. It, I've seen so many couples who have been in trouble, um, who have felt like their marriage, their, their, you know, this is their last-ditch effort by coming to therapy, and they've been able to come in and resolve the issues, learn new skills, learn how to... Um, to, to problem solve and get back together working as a team and get back together connected and, and intimate and uh, enjoying each other. But couples therapy, I think, can also be painful. Uh, you oh. did this and you did that and you do this and you do that. Yeah. Couples therapy can be painful. Therapy can be painful. I always tell people who come into my office, sometimes you're going to feel great coming here and leaving here, and sometimes you're going to feel awful. Therapy's not supposed to uh, make you feel great all the time. It's supposed to challenge you. It's supposed to make you look at yourself. It's supposed to make you um, stop avoiding issues, and that is painful. It's inherently painful, but on the other side of that, is resolve on the other side of that. If you're really doing the work, if you are leaving the session and applying um, the the tools that you're learning in session, then it can it can be life changing. And a therapist, it's a therapist's job to set ground rules. It's a therapist's job to let you know what your boundaries are in session. And if you've got couples who are going at it, you did this and you did that, um, and there's yelling and there's if there's fighting, then that's great one time. It's important to then use that and say, this is what I'm seeing happening. This is what can happen in session. This is what cannot happen in session. And so if I see this happening, I'm going to stop it, and we're going to reapproach it in this way. Okay. In interviews I've done with other therapists and authors, we've talked both about the whole concept of mindfulness and of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. But you use both of those things in your practice. How? I do. I use both of them. I think they actually marry well together. They complement each other. Um, CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, is really all about um, understanding how your thoughts affect the way you feel and how your feelings affect the way you behave and how your behaviors affect the way you think and vice versa and how those are all interconnected. And I've seen how using that treatment model can help people who are suffering from formal diagnoses like depression or anxiety um, and informal ones and just common life struggles like uh, transitioning or work stress, partner discord, or even dating. Um, so really understanding how your thoughts um, are impacting your feelings and, and your behaviors um, is essential um, in cognitive behavioral therapy. And then mindfulness really is all about learning how to uh, be in the present moment, learning how to observe what's happening with yourself um, or in exchanges or with other people and doing so in a non-judgmental way. So it's about awareness. And when you couple those two things together 
and you're able to gain more awareness of your thoughts and your feelings and behaviors. And instead of having um, a thought that is unpleasant and then uh, being really hard on yourself um, or trying to stop the thought, instead you're able to sit with that thought, observe it, be curious about it, and then decide whether or not that thought is valid or if there are grains of truth within it, or whether it's just an idea, it's just a thought, it's not a valid, and let it pass. That is such an important skill to develop in life in general, because many times we think that our thoughts are facts. They pop into our head and we run with them. We just automatically um, take them in and they then drive us. And thoughts are not facts. Sometimes they're just thoughts. Sometimes they're just ideas. Thoughts you have today, though, can take you back to there and then, can't they? I'm sorry, repeat that? Thoughts you might have now Mm -hmm. can take you back into the past, can't they? Oh, yeah. And I like to tell people that that, uh, thoughts, Uh, When you get stuck in thoughts in the past, that really can lead to depression. And when you get stuck in thoughts in the future, that really is um, anxiety-inducing. So, yeah, if you um, find that your thoughts are, are taking you back to the past and you're ruminating about those thoughts um, and you're not figuring out a way to then challenge those thoughts or restructure those thoughts, um, or problem solve those thoughts, then then they can be they can do a lot of damage. How important is a good sex life? I think a good sex life is very important, but I think a good sex life is means something different to everybody. For some people, a good sex life means having sex once a week or once every other week, and for other people, a good sex life means having sex every day, and so. You know, it's really about understanding what a good sex life means to you. Sex is important in a relationship, though. Um, And I think anybody who tells you different um, is not being truthful for you. If you have a partner who um, doesn't enjoy having sex frequently and you don't enjoy having sex frequently um, and you guys are both on the same page, um, that doesn't mean you have a bad sex life. That means you have a good sex life. You guys are... Um, meeting each other's needs, um, but if one person is unsatisfied in the sex in your sex life, um, that definitely creates issues. It creates issues with bonding. It creates issues with intimacy. It creates issues um, with uh, feeling insecure around the other person. If somebody continues to initiate sex and is being rejected. Um, it can create feelings of resentment and hurt. So a good sex life is, I think it's important. Some people, though, some couples, and maybe it's occurs to me, maybe it's at the stage of the relationship, though it's every night, and mm-hmm. some people it's maybe once a year or never. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would imagine there are relationships where you hang it up. Oh, yeah. There are people who have uh, come into my office who haven't had sex in 15 years. 15 years and you just give up and it feels like something that you know you guys just don't do any anymore and you guys turn into roommates Um, and some people you know they're they're able to to manage that and it's okay Um, and other people you know it's painful and there is there's hurt and there's resentment there 
Um, and, you know, they'd like to be able to connect with each other. They've just lost the way and they've forgotten how to. And how do you help them reconnect then? You start slowly. I think, you know, it, it, if, if you haven't had sex in 15 years, um, you know, you just don't know how to do it anymore. And so uh, one, of, one of the more common tools that sex therapists use are um, sensate focus exercises. And those sensate focus exercises really kind of start you back at the basics. It's about exploring um, each other in um, a comfortable environment where both of you guys are taking turns um, and really just paying attention to how you respond to touching. And we're not touching in a sexual way initially. Um, we're just touching um, and seeing uh, what the other person responds to, what you respond to, and you take turns doing so. And then you... Um, then you, you, you add a little bit the next time, so um, it becomes a little bit more sexual with each other's comfort level. And you come back to the session and you talk about what worked and what didn't work, what you liked and what you didn't like, and then you tailor it to each couple's needs. So I think that can be really helpful. And then in some people's cases, there is not even touching happening. So you're not holding hands. You guys are sitting at opposite ends of the couch. You guys really are just a transactional kind of relationship where, you know, you're taking care of the kids and taking care of the finances, but you're living separate lives. And if both of you guys are um, engaged in treatment and both of you guys want to change that, um, it might even just start with sitting closer on the couch uh, <laughs> with each other when you guys watch TV and then maybe holding hands and then maybe even hugging, um, and then just taking gradual steps and seeing what feels good and what doesn't feel good and why, maybe why you're reacting to some, something in, in a certain way. Another thing that's different than when I was out there looking was the bachelor and the bachelorette. <laughs> what do you think about that stuff? Oh, they're so fun. <laughs> They are ridiculous, and I'm not arguing that they are ridiculous, um, and the situations are extreme for sure, but I think the reason that these shows are so successful is because within these ridiculous scenarios, um, you're seeing real-life exchanges happening. Um, for these people, it's not normal, of course, to have 35 women or 35 men vying for your attention, but you are seeing real emotion take place. You're seeing real longing happening. You're seeing real rejection happening um, and real connection, real love connections happening. And that, I think, is, you know, speaks to the voyeur in all of us. That speaks to, um, you know, that desire that we all have to love and to be loved. And they're just ridiculous and they're fun. Do you watch the shows? Not if I can help it. <laughs> well, but they're, they're so unrealistic. I mean, while it might be every man or every woman's fantasy to have 35 people chasing after them, um, it just ain't happening. No, it's not happening. Well, it's happening for these people, but uh, they're a very small uh, pool of people. <laughs> and then people get all shocked when the final rose is presented, the ring is given, and then two weeks later, the relationship is broken. 
Right. It's, yeah. Well, again, the situation is often manufactured in so many ways, um, and, but it's so dramatic. It's uh, so juicy. It is. It's like reading a good woman's novel, I would <laughs> exactly. imagine. Exactly. Oh, but, but I guess I can't understand why people hook up into those shows. Why people do what in the shows? Get into those shows. Oh, I, I think it's just the drama. It, it, you know, it's reality TV is the new soap opera, and, uh, you know, it's it's fun, and it's an escape. I think that it really is, is a big part of it. It's an escape. Some people, like myself, I can't come home and watch uh, Law & Order SVU or anything really um, dr- dramatic and anxiety-inducing and real. Um, the escape for me. That's what I want. I want something silly. I want something fun. I want something ridiculous. I want something that just kind of takes me away from reality and um, can help me escape. Okay. Personally, I think that's why God made sitcoms, but that's another discussion. <laughs> well, they're, they're a good favorite of mine as well. All right. Um, you're listening to Conversation here on 94 WIP. My guest, Shaiman Ajan, therapist, author, her new book, Seeking Soulmate, Ditch the dating game and find real connection. If you had to name one mistake that men make, what do they do? Oh, I think men often lead with their egos. Um, They lead with kind of a sales pitch about themselves um, and all of their accolades and all of their successes and really just trying to sell themselves to the person who's sitting across from them. And that's a huge turnoff. Nobody wants to, to be sold on a relationship. You want to connect with a person. You want to feel something. You want there to be some kind of spark or some kind of interest um, that that makes you feel closer to a person. So I think that's a big one that guys do. And how about women? What's their big mistake? I think women uh, go into a relationship and instead of being gracious, um, you know, I think there's an expectation there that the man, man is going to do everything, the man's going to pay for everything, the man is going to um, uh, plan everything, and that's great if the man does that, but if you're not gracious, if you um, have an expectation that that is going to happen, um, that's a turnoff. But with the Me Too movement, it seems like the rules are shifting again and men aren't quite sure what to do and how to do it. Right, and I think that's very true, and I think a lot of women um, also want to take the lead in a relationship, and so that um, is fine, too. There, there is a shift, but either way, if the, the woman is initiating and, and the man is the one who is being uh, uh, planned for and is getting paid for, then the man needs to be gracious. But I think it's still more common for it to be happening the other way around. As parents, what can we teach our sons and daughters? Oh, my goodness. I think that's a great question. I think that um, as parents, it's important for, you know, our, our young folks to respect each other, um, no matter what. If you are attracted to the person sitting across from you or not, um, it's important for you to have respect for them. It's important for you to um, treat the other person um, with care. Um, I think another huge thing that we can teach our kids is how to care for themselves, um, how to, to know themselves, how to really be in touch with themselves, um, how to have healthy self-esteem. 
And if they don't have that, if that is a is something that um, you know they're at a deficit with going into dating, they're going to be seeking that in a relationship, and that never works out. That always creates problems. How to teach our young people they're more than their body parts. That's right. More than their body part, more than um, how they look, uh, more than what they can give to somebody. Yeah. Hmm. Is this book primarily for women, for men, or for both? You know, I wrote the book from the perspective of um, a sex therapist who just, uh, uh, your, your girlfriend who just happens to be a sex therapist. Um, so, you know, I think it comes off as, um, you know, girlfriends talking, but um, the principles in the book are for everybody. And I do um, have case vignettes from uh, men. Um, I do have case vignettes from uh, LGBT couples. Um, I do talk about interracial dating, interfaith dating, um, dating across class lines. I talk about single parents or divorced people, um, older people who are looking for relationships. So I really wrote it with the spirit of, um, you know, everybody being able to use um, these principles and these tools that are in the book. All right, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about LG alternative sexual lifestyles. How does it work for them? How does the book work for them? Yes, and how does the whole process of dating, should it work for them? Well, I think um, it works the same way. Um, uh, you know, obviously there are, are some differences, but ultimately it all comes down to to love and wanting to be loved. And um, if you're trying to connect with people and you want to develop a long-term lasting relationship, the principles remain the same. It really is about you um, learning how to get more in touch with yourself and be more genuine and be more comfortable in your skin so that you can uh, present that to another person um, and for them to really kind of be able to see that and connect with that. Um, so that's just human. That's, that has nothing to do with sex. That has nothing to do, too, with gender. How did you get into all this with your practice? I mean, there are a zillion things you could have specialized in as a therapist. Yeah, you know, I had a supervisor once say to me, you get the clients you need. So I did not start uh, my psychotherapy practice really thinking that I was going to be working with um, dating singles um, or couples. I just happened to be, you know, a young 20-something um, when I started my practice, um, and over the years, I have gotten 20, single 20-something, single 30-something, single 40-something, single 50-somethings, who don't necessarily come to treatment because of dating, but if you're single, inevitably, you're going to talk about dating, and it happens over and over and over again, and I was seeing that people are really struggling with this. People are struggling not only with um, you know, how to find somebody and how to date. Um, they're struggling with what to do on the date, and they're struggling with how to really connect with somebody and how to weed out the people who aren't so great for them and why they keep finding themselves in the same relationships over and over and over again. And as a result, I just um, started to marry the ideas of CBT, that's really where my training is, and mindfulness, um, 
and create a dating model that I found was really helpful for people and help them to be able to approach dating from um, a more balanced place and take a lot of the stress out of it. What about those people though, who are happy being alone? Do you have any thoughts on them? Yeah, I think they're great. If you're happy being alone, if there's no problem, there's no problem. So, you know, there are some people who are happy being alone. Um, I think there are some people who are, say they're happy at being alone who aren't really happy being alone, and that's something else. Um, but if you are truly happy being alone, there's no problem. Good for them. Where do you go after this, um, Chime? After reading the book? Not only after reading the book, well, after reading the book, let's do that first. Okay. <laughs> um, after reading the book and after applying all the principles and really, um, you know, getting in touch with yourself and figuring out, you know, what's important to you and, and the kind of partner that you want, um, I think that it's important for you to make dating a priority for yourself. And that's not about being obsessive. It's not about being hyper-focused on dating, but I think it's about, you know, talking to your friends, letting them know that this is something that's important to you. I think it's about going out and being present of mind because um, you never know where you're going to run into somebody who you might connect with. For some people, it happens at the grocery store when you don't even have your makeup on, when you're just kind of going there to buy a few extra items and, you know, you connect over, um, you know, a melon or something. So you never know when it's going to have happened, but if you are stuck in your mind, if you're worrying about something, if you're not present, you're going to miss out on that. So really kind of keeping it um, a priority, keeping it in the forefront. And then I, like we talked about initially, I think if you're not using online dating, then you're missing out. I think that it can be scary and it can be a little awkward and odd. Um, I think it's really important to get offline as soon as possible if you find somebody that you're interested in um, instead of spending time texting and emailing and communicating through apps I think you need to try to meet the person in person there's a lot of red flags with people who want to communicate only via uh, you know devices um, get in front of the person but use online dating as a tool to meet people well, I have a story for you. I met my wife at a conference on Alzheimer's disease. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Less place I would have expected to meet my future wife. See, you never know. And I met my husband at a bar, right? They tell you that you're not going to meet anybody at a bar. You can meet somebody at a bar. I'm not going to say go spend all of your time in a bar looking for somebody, but you never know. You never know where you're going to meet somebody. This is true. Now, where do you go with, with your practice after this? I mean, more books on dating and relationships, or are you, are you done with the word processor? Uh, you know what? I would love to write another book. I, I don't know if you can hear my little one in the background. I wrote this book uh, mostly when I was pregnant with my now 14-month-old son. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, life has, has been a little bit of a whirlwind uh, while writing this book and after writing the book. Um, but yeah, I would love to write another book. I think, you know, mind, these principles of mindfulness and these principles of CBT, um, can be applied to relationships in so many different ways. Um, and so I really think a, a great book about sex, um, is probably where I'm going 
next. I have a lot of great cases that are inspiring me, um, a lot of people who are having sex but are experiencing erectile dysfunction or who are having low desire or who are just not interested and are going through the motions. And I think with mindfulness and kind of getting in tune with what's happening in the present moment um, and using your senses because sex is one of the most sensory experiences is probably the most sensory experience that you can have. It engages all five of those senses, um, the touching, the smelling, the tasting, the feel, all of them. They all get activated during sex. And so if you can really kind of learn how to uh, tune into your senses and make sex a sensory experience, a total sex, uh, sensory experience for you, then sex can be really great. It can be really uh, mind-blowing for you instead of it just being like going through the motions. And you can really connect with your partner um, in, in a great way. Sex is a great way to connect with your partner. It's not the only way. It's not the only thing that's important in a relationship, but it is an important part of a relationship. Well, but for a lot of people, people think of sex and they think, well, you touch here and you lick there and you caress over here. And right, that gets more boring. That. Yeah. That gets boring. It gets routine. Uh, you know how everything is going to go. You on, A lot of people are on their smartphones while having sex or, the, or watching TV while having sex. That is not a sensory experience. That's not you being in the moment. That's not you um, really kind of connecting with each other. That is being on automatic pilot. That's you being a robot. Robot, having, robot sex is not sexy. So, yeah, I think that, you know, if you're doing that, it's time for an upgrade. It's time for you to reapproach. Uh, dating, it's time for you guys to start exploring each other in a new way and time to start talking about what really turns you on because what's happening in the bedroom is probably not what is turning you on outside of the bedroom. You know, the things that you're thinking of, the fantasies that you're having and fantasies sometimes are just fantasies but you can incorporate some of that stuff into your into your sex life with your partner. Yeah. Hmm. Fantasies are nice though. When, when do you share your fantasies? If it's just not working for you anymore and you feel like, you know, you need to um, or add some spice into your life or if you feel like your fantasy is really kind of getting in, way, in the way of you connecting with your partner, I think then, yeah, I think it's important to talk about that fantasy. And I think there are, are you know, lines that maybe you don't want to cross, something that might be painful for your partner to know. Um, you might not want to share that, but, you know, if the idea of having sex in the car is something that turns you on or the idea of, you know, some kind of role play is something that turns you on or the idea of, you know, your partner watching you um, is something that turns you on, then, yeah, talk about that and, and see how you guys can incorporate some of that into your sex life. Creativity with your sex life can be a lot of fun also. And you guys are working together and connecting on that level as well. But a lot of people tend to think, you know, if you're having good sex, the earth should move and, you know, 3.5 on the Richter scale. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, gets a lot of people into trouble. I think that gets a lot of women into trouble. I have women come into my practice and tell me that they've never had an orgasm before. And, I think that's because they're comparing it to what they see in the movies or what, you know, they're hearing happens um, 
from other people. And once we really kind of get in there and explore, um, they're experiencing an orgasm. It's just not um, what they had expected to be an orgasm. And so, yeah, getting out of what the perception of sex is and enjoying everything. Sex starts with a touch. Sex starts with a glance. Sex starts with um, a little playful uh, banter between the two of you guys. And you enjoying the play of sex, you enjoying the, the interaction of foreplay makes sex more enjoyable. And so I think when you're focused on that orgasm and you're focused on it being mind-blowing and earth-shattering, um, you're missing out on all of the other enjoyable parts of sex. It, it's all enjoyable. And I'd like to say thank you to Chiman Ajan, her new book, Seeking Soulmate, Ditching the Dating Game and Finding Real World Connection. She tells us about love, she tells us about sex, and she tells us about how to find a keeper. All this and more coming up here on 94WIP. Thank you, Shyman. Do you have a website? I do. Um, my website is www.shaminajan.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, Psych. I'm on Twitter, shaminajan. Um, I'm on Facebook, shaminajan. Um, and my book is sold everywhere. It's um, online. It's in Amazon. It's in Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. It's in the stores. And if you have a local bookstore and it's not there, you can ask them to order it, and it'll be there in two or three days. And the lady is Shimon Ajan. Her new book, Seeking Soulmate, Ditching the Dating Game, and Finding a Real Connection. And that little voice we keep hearing in the background is proof that it works. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Peter, for having me. It's my pleasure. And it's conversation here on 94WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. We'll be back after this update, sports update, here on 94WIP.